Lord, thank you so much for your presence, your, your presence continually in our life. Not once at salvation, not yearly, Lord, continually. Oh, you are a great God. Thank you for your word, Lord, that nourishes us today. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, I was out last week, and I missed you guys. I did. I'm going to tell you, if you're new with us, I'm going to tell you we have a great congregation. Before I left, I've never done this, where the church ran the church. I didn't have a guest speaker. I didn't have anyone else come in for the first time in our three-year history. I said, okay, they're ready. They can do this. They, they love this house. They love me. They're submitted, which is a big deal. I got people older than me that are submitted to me. That's Jesus stuff right there. I said, okay, they're going to run it. And I'm going to tell you, they, not only did they do a great job, worship was taken care of, the word, everything, but they, this is something y'all don't know about pastors. Pastors all the time feel very guilty about ever leaving or missing anything. We don't have it. You don't, pastors don't, don't have it the worst. Missionaries have it the worst. Missionaries feel constant pressure to take any time, to never take any time off. I've talked to several of them. There's missionaries that go 20 years and never take a break. I'm like, oh, goodness. You may meet Jesus early with that one. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, we have a great congregation. They said, go have a great vacation. Go have fun. Go spend time with your family. Come on. We have a blessed. We're blessed. I'm blessed. I want to thank you all for that. We are so blessed. The world needs that. The world needs to see that. It's so wonderful. So thank you so much. And we had a great time. My wife will be back in a few days. She stayed a few days longer in uh, Nevada. I've got my son here. So we're going to have lots of guy time. And I won't be cooking except in the microwave and pizza. If you see me stopped at Domino's or at Popeye's for the next five, four days, that's why. <laughs> Let's jump into the Word. We're still in the series. I'm reminding you, the Bible constantly talks about the Apostle Paul, the other apostles, and Old Testament says, I want to remind you of these things. Because y'all forget, right? I need a reminder. I'm so glad we have Siri, and she tells me everything I forget or if I forget something. Yesterday, I forgot getting back into town late on Friday. I forgot Saturday that Ben has karate. It was a rough miss because he said, Dad, do I have karate? I was like, you did an hour and a half ago. Dad, I'm a green belt now. I can't be doing this. I'm like, oh, goodness. It's on me. I needed to be reminded. And the Word of God is our best reminder. Oh, and the Spirit of the Lord. So go to Psalm 77. We spent three weeks in the New Testament. Let's go to the Old Testament and look at this. Psalm 77. This is a little-known person in the Bible. Let me give you a little background on our writer Asaph. You may not have ever heard that name. Hebrew, it's pronounced a little differently, but for our American ears, Asaph. He wrote Psalms 50 and Psalms 73 through 83. He was a contemporary with King David. In fact, King David and the chief musician, these guys look like a quartet. He was on the worship team at the church. Asaph. He's called a lead musician, a skilled musician in 2 Chronicles, and he's also called a seer. That's a word the Old Testament uses for prophet. His music was prophetic in nature. Obviously, if he finds himself in the eternal word of the living God, there's prophecy in his songs. 
So this is who he was. His sons are also talked about. He almost has not only biological sons, but there seems to be some kind of worship school that follows him. He teaches worship. He's talked about in 1 Corinthians, his sons, Chronicles, and 2 Chronicles. So here we go. Psalm 77, a psalm of Asaph. We're going to read 1 through 13. Now we kind of have some background. Verse 1, I cried out to God with my voice, to God with my voice, and he gave ear to me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. It's a worship leader with insomnia. He's He's had a rough week, and he's praying all night. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God, and I was troubled. That's a statement of the fear of the Lord. I remembered the holy, righteous majesty of God, and it becomes overwhelming. That's a fear of the Lord statement. That's a good statement, not a bad one. Anytime you hear someone talking about the fear of God, that's good. I contemplated and my spirit was overwhelmed. So hold my eye, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Now, hold on. We got a worship leader who can't talk. <laughs> so it's, it's a rough, it's rough. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my soul in the night. I meditate within my heart and my spirit makes diligent search. This is focus. This is really thinking about it. He's deep soul searching. He's meditating. And he has some questions, some contemplations by himself not on the worship stage, deep, deep in his soul. He's struggling. He's got some questions. Verse 7, will the Lord cast off forever? We're going to feel like this all the time. We're going to be in this state. And will he be favorable no more? Has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his tender mercies? Six questions and contemplations. Y'all have probably thought about this before. You've had days or maybe nights like this. Oh God, how's this going to happen? How's this going to work out? Why is this so difficult? Six contemplations and six questions And the good Hebrew man stops there and says, hold on, I know a seven. I know a, I'm not going to go to seven because I know there's a God of completion. That's the number for seven. I know there's a perfect God. And then you ever had thoughts in your mind and you're thinking and you know, it's like, it's just off and crazy. What are you like? Whoa, 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 hold on. Let's, let's refocus, right? Like you're driving in the car and you hit those bumps, straighten that thing up. That's what happens here in verse 10. And I said, this is my anguish, but... Then he's going to make three statements of I remember. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will also meditate on all your work and talk of your deeds. Your way, O Lord, is in the sanctuary. I like that scripture. Your way, O Lord, is in the sanctuary. 
Who is so great a God as our God? All right. We understand this man. We see him there in the night by himself in the deep openness and purity and truthfulness of his heart. This is why the Bible is right. It does not cover or mask the weaknesses, the fears, or the sins of its characters. This is uh, an apologetics view. The Bible shows its struggles in its people. It shows it. See, God's not an insecure God. He has no problem when people struggle because he's a great and faithful God and he'll move and do great works. So it shows this, these deep insecurities and fears and struggles and he reminds us of some wonderful things. So you've got some notes there. Let's learn something new from the Word of God. We're going to uh, focus on verse 10 through 13 here. Verse 10. And I said, this is my anguish. And I said, the previous six questions are the anguish of my heart and my soul. Is God faithful? Is God good? Is God just? Has he forgotten to be gracious? Is he going to be angry forever? This is the anguish of my soul. Your Bible may say infirmity, the sickness, the disease of my soul. Number one in your notes. Unbelief is always the greatest illness. His six questions of struggle, of is God really good? Is he holy, righteous in all he does and says? This is the struggle. And he goes, he has these questions. He's running off the road and he goes, oh my goodness, what am I doing? What am I doing? Get out, unbelief. But, he says, I will remember. And then he starts strengthening himself in the Lord, his God. Actually, it's the very same thing David did all the time that all leaders must do. There's times when there's nobody else and you've got to strengthen yourself in the Lord, right? Anguish fills his heart when unbelief tries to creep in. Now, it doesn't stay there. Unbelief will come into your life. Doubt in the goodness of God, in the sovereignty of God, in the works of God. It's lies. It's the work of the enemy. We have an enemy. The devil didn't go on vacation and leave. He still creeps around like a roaring lion looking whom he may devour through doubt, unbelief, in the goodness, righteousness, and holiness of God, seeing no other place greater than the cross of Jesus Christ. If you ever doubt any goodness in our God because of this fallen world, because of struggles, physical struggles, emotional struggles, Addiction struggles, these struggles, job struggles. Look to the cross. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Can anyone doubt the goodness of God? We can't. We can't. We live on the backside of the cross in history. I'm so glad. It would take great faith to live in Asaph's day. But we live on the other side of the cross. 
and we will never doubt the goodness of our God. So unbelief is always the greatest illness in our culture, in our society, with an individual. I was in Reno this last week, as I said. My wife is from Reno, Nevada. It's in the desert. Reno is on the border, the state line, basically, of Northern California and Nevada up there. Lake Tahoe, the large, beautiful lake, is half in Nevada and half in California. What people don't know about Reno is, you know, everybody has counties in America, except for Louisiana. We're weird. We have Napoleonic Law. We have parishes, right? Everyone else has counties. Washoe County, which is the whole valley of Reno, is the second most unchurched county in all of America, number two. It has flirted between number one, two, and three over the years. Uh, the, the first one is in Massachusetts somewhere. Which means that the thought of God, eternity in a spiritual life, the thought like, look, you can talk to Catholics. They talk about Jesus all day long, about God or spiritual things, right? In this culture, God is prevalent. It's just a richer culture. There, nothing. Blindness. Not even a thought in the mind of the, uh, of, of the thousands of people in the casinos. It's just not a thought. <laughs> even in beautiful Lake Tahoe, looking at the gorgeous, majestic views, it's not on their radar. Now, it is very obvious in that culture that God's not on their mind. That eternity is not on their mind. It's overrun with despair, homelessness, drugs, family dysfunction. This is what I viewed of it in the last nine days I was there. Poverty, rampant sexual immorality, and various addictions all over. It's just a totally different culture. Go visit sometime. You will thank God for Acadiana. You will thank God for every one of you. See, I've been in the desert spiritually. So I come back, I'm like, give me a hug. You are wonderful. All of you people are so great. You don't look at me like crossways or are smoking with 47 rings in your ears and face in every whichever direction. That's just some of it, not all of it. There's Christians there. We'll talk about that in a minute. But all of those things are prevalent everywhere you turn. Why? For one overwhelming, blaring reason. The unbelief in their heart and mind. Totally void of the truth of Jesus Christ. It is the greatest illness. Not drugs, unbelief. Not poverty. Not all of these addictions and all the things that plague Reno. Not the homeless on left and the right and, and people sleeping on the sides of the rivers. Not those things. All of that was produced by one thing. They have not God. They don't have Him. They don't know Him. I was blessed. I got to kind of talk to some people about Jesus. Got to talk to some of her family. It's difficult though. It's hard to lead and to show someone something that's blind. So pray for America. Pray for Reno. I'll encourage you. We met some great Christians here too. Don't be all depressed. <laughs> Unbelief is always the greatest illness. Christians, as this complex world moves and, and you hear this, uh, this need in this country and those needs, and we are to work as the church to meet the needs of our culture, both physical needs, emotional needs, all of those things. We're called, right? Are we the ambassadors of Christ? Right? Are, have you been given the ministry of reconciliation? Yes, but understand our number one job, the greatest sickness, the sickness that is eternal, that leads to eternal death, is that of unbelief. 
in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Amen? So we're going to keep our eye on the ball. We're going to remember that unbelief is the greatest issue. That if you have friends that are sick, you pray for them and you talk to them about Jesus. If you've got neighbors who don't know Jesus, they must come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They may be models of our community. They may be captains of industry. But without Christ in unbelief, they're, they're stage four cancer, rotting and dying. Amen? Is that the truth? And I said, this is my anguish. This is a man who'd been up all night, and he said, unbelief is my struggle. This is a man who could not sleep, tears. He had gave no comfort. That means he's hungry. His back hurts. All of that, right? That's what he said. But he said, unbelief is the problem. I want out of my heart. All right. Enough on that. Let's keep going. Let's get to greener pastures. It's going to turn really good here. We love Asaph. And I said, this is my anguish. But there's a turn. There's a shift in those. I love it because he's by himself. He's by himself at night. He's not on the stage. He's not at the temple during, during one of the great festivals leading Israel. Um, and he's got all the garb on. He's got the music going. And boy, he's got to keep it up. I mean, everyone's watching him. No, no, no. He's by himself. He's at deep by himself, up all night in anguish. And the Spirit of the Lord comes. No man talks like this but by the Spirit of God. Is this the Word of God? Are these his words? Is the Word of God the Spirit of God? Did the Spirit of God not speak to him and energize him and come to that deep, dark place in his life? Yes, it did. But I just see the Spirit of God coming in him and lifting him up. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. There's two key things there. One, years. Not days. Not weeks, not months, years. Asaph goes, let me tell you something. The Spirit of the Lord's moving in me. I feel it. And I'm going to remember that God wasn't good for a day to me, not a week to me. I didn't experience the faithful mercies of God for months, for years. Years and the right hand of God. What is that? The favor, the right hand always talks about the favor and the acceptance of God. Where is Jesus? At the what? Right hand. The right hand. Oh, he's just even prophetic. He's even, he's even getting glimpses of the Savior. Number two on your notes. Remember God's lasting mercies during short-term problems. Are his mercies new every morning? Is he faithful from generation to generation? Never get in despair, older generation. There is a God who is faithful, and you don't have to worry about a thing. Psalms 33 says, and you don't have to worry about your children. You pray for them, and you read Psalms 33, and he says, I put my heart in every generation. The plans of my heart will be in every generation. So you can bank on that one. You'll sleep good at night for your children. 
I got four of them. I got to pray that one. Come on. His heart in every generation. God, I can't control what you did in the past. It was wonderful and great in the charismatic movement. You launched one-third of all evangelical churches in America in that 40 years. And I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I serve a faithful God, and he'll put his heart in every generation. Come on. That, the spirit, that'll pick you up. I had to pray that when I was in Reno for the last week. I had to pray that one. Remember God's lasting mercies in short-term problems. Hey, you got problems, right? There's always something wrong in life. Physical, work, oh, relational. In relational, you need that because everything's good for a week and then something goes bad, right? Everything's good in the marriage and then blah. Everything's good with the kids and then blah. Remember, he says, but I will remember the years of a faithful God and his right hand. You've got Jesus. You've got Jesus. You've got his right hand. Come on. If Jesus is yours, you've got his right hand. Remember God's lasting mercies during short-term problems. Charles Spurgeon says, If no good is present is in the present memories, ransack the past to find consolation. Right? If there's nothing good going on right now or in front of you, say, Lord, you were faithful. You were faithful. You'll be faithful. Now, I told you this was a worship uh, trio. He was a contemporary of King David, and they strengthened each other. Go to Psalm 63. Just a few pages back. I love the word of God. I love the word of God. I never thought about this. Israel, the golden age of Israel is when? David, right? King David. He fights Goliath. He's the second king. The first one went bad. The country was, ooh, don't know if this is going to work. He brings them up in confidence in the Spirit of God. He preps to build the temple. He expands the land. All these great things are happening. And you always think about David. I'm going to tell you, by many hands, the work of God is done. Is that a true statement? The reason it was the golden age is because a man you may have never thought about or heard of until today. Because men like Asaph. Right? Quality worship leaders like this. Lay people. People over there doing children's ministry. You want a golden age of the house of God? Be like Asaph. You don't have to be David. Be like Asaph. I love thinking about how Asaph strengthened David. One man, as one man sharpens another, right? That's in the Bible. David strengthening Asaph. Asaph strengthening David. Back with this, this friendship, this unity, this camaraderie going on, producing this spiritual health, this golden age of Israel. Come on, I want that. Let's believe for it, amen? Come on. We can't do it without you. All right, Psalm 63. Now, you need to know when and where this is written. Your Bible may say it right there at the beginning. Mine says, a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judea. This ain't no good time. This is a time he has to dig deep and remember. I'll read 1 through 6 so we can get a, a, an understanding of what's going on in his heart and mind. Oh, God, you are my God. First thing, I am his and he is mine. Come on. 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He's mine. Oh, he's not mine. He's ours. It's a group. You can't even pray the Lord's Prayer without praying for someone else. Without loving other people. Our Father. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land. He visited Reno too. Where there is no water. So I looked for you in the sanctuary. I'm telling you, this is it right here. The house of God. To see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied with the marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Verse 6. When I remember you in my bed. Wait. What? See, Asaph and David had some good things to talk about. They both been through some stuff. They understood each other. You ever had a, a friend who's been through some stuff with you? Yep. And you just get each other. You're like, yep. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. You, you ever had a friend who would pull all-nighters with you because y'all both procrastinated in school and you got a big test the next morning? Yep. Yep, that's Asaph and David. All night. In the night watches. They both must have been night owls. I don't know. David didn't sleep much. He said rise early in the morning. He must have drank a lot of coffee. (laughs) It's not in the Bible. I can't prove that. Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. I'm in the desert. It's not a good time in my life, in my kingdom, in my family. David's got family issues, right? Who's trying to kill him? His father-in-law. You think you got bad in-laws. It's a bad time in his life. Therefore, I'm going to remember and I'm reminding you that God is faithful and that God is good. And I long for you, Lord, in the difficult times of life because only you satisfy. I learned this principle so well in the area of relationships in my life. This is part of my testimony, as you know, I was single for nine years. The Lord spoke to me at 18 and said, you're mine, there's issues in your life, 18 years old, give me your relationships, you're going to be single. I said, okay, Lord, that sounds good, it'll probably last a year, maybe two, maybe, maybe. Nine, it was the death of me, oh, thank God. I would not be here unless I had died there. For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And the life that I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God. Oh, who loved me, who loved me and gave himself for me. So I said, okay, I've got to die to relationships, to ladies, to everything. I'm yours. So I thought in my life, that was a desert time because <laughs> I was single. I lost me. Right? Remember when you're like 19, 20 and the world falls apart every couple days? I'm not knocking on you if you're young. Just remember it gets better. It doesn't fall apart every few days. But in that desert, I began to hear the Lord. I learned his voice. 
I learned his faithfulness and his goodness. I learned to obey my Savior. And when he would say, go here and do this, do this and not that. Not in perfection. I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. Okay, we're all right here. But I learned, and I learned so clearly when the Lord in 30 days, I was graduate of, school, of, of college with no job and no wife, wanting to go into ministry and poor. In 30 days, 31, 31 days, 31 days, relationship, full-time job, everything taken care of because it was the Lord. I learned that in short-term problems, in nine years is short, to trust in the long-term mercies of God. Now I can stand, and I'm going to tell you, this is why it was the Lord. I did youth ministry for many years. I was blessed to speak to thousands of youth over the many years about the number one issue that stops people from serving, the God, from serving God. You know what it is, relationships. They get into them bad. The reason is it's the idol of their life. They may give their life to Jesus, but the idol in every young person's life is that relationship. In fact, Genesis 3.16 tells us this. I'm getting off. Genesis 3.16, in the fall of man, God looks at Eve and says, your desire is going to be into your husband. You're going to want a man all the time. That's what it says. So I understood that, and I had confidence, and I had the word of God in me that he worked in me for years and years, and I was blessed to be able to stand up and talk to thousands of youth about relationships, and they got rid of that idol in their life. I saw God do greater things in the area of relationships in all my youth ministry than anything else. Why? Because I could do it with confidence. I can't do everything with confidence, right? I can play basketball with confidence. On the soccer field, oh, it's ugly. It's bad. Like, please get that guy off the soccer field. Remember God's lasting mercies during short Turn problems. As Asaph did, as David did, let's keep going here. Psalm 77, verse 11. Oh, we got to get going. We're going to speed it up a little bit. Verse 11. I will remember. So he says, I'm going to remember the years of the Most High. I'm going to remember the goodness of God, the favor of God. Verse 11. I will remember the works of the Lord. No unnecessary details in the Bible. If it says it, it's there for a reason. I'm going to specifically remember the works of God I have seen. It's the picture of what I have experienced. He's going to go on to talk about the history of Israel. The works of God that I know about. The person with an experience is always superior to the person with an argument or knowledge, right? You can't tell me about my wife. I know my wife better, right? I know I've experienced her over the last 12 years of being married. Number three on your notes. Reflect often on God's great change in your life. That's what he's doing. Come on, say often. You need to be reflecting on God's work in you. I need to in me. I need to look back and say, oh, my goodness, I can't believe you're so good, God. I can't believe you're so faithful. I don't deserve to be here. I've messed up a thousand times, but God's that great. Reflect. He says, I will remember, and I'm reminding you to reflect on God's great change and what he's done in you. 
I will remember the works of the Lord. I will remember those things that my eyes have seen. That's literally kind of what he's saying there, of what my eyes have seen. Now then he shifts in verse, not only to what his eyes have seen, but he continues to say, surely I will remember your wonders of what? Of old. Then I'm going to look back on the godly legacy and history of Israel and go farther all the way to my father Abraham and keep going and look all the way back into your creation and your faithfulness. I'm going to remember everything from Genesis until Psalm 77. The wonders of old. Number four in your notes. Your Bible is the best reminder of God's miracles. You want to overcome depression? You want to grow in your emotional stability? You want to become a more confident Christian? You want to be able to pick yourself up in the sleepless nights? That's an amen part. Amen. Do you want that? Yeah. Then you get in your word. This is not a a magic bullet infomercial. Christianity is not a magic bullet. You get in your word and you mine out that truth. He said, I contemplate in the deep parts of my mind and heart. You get in your Bible and you say, I, in the, for the next six months, I want to know my Bible by the end of the year better than I ever have. You get in your word. I'm going to reflect on your wonders of old. I'm going to get in my scrolls and I'm going to get in the sanctuary and I'm going to study my word and I'm going to say, God, infinite God of the universe, I'm so finite and so small, but show me the glory of the word of God. Huh? Well, I'm excited about it. (laughs) Your Bible is the gateway to the miraculous and the supernatural. You want the Spirit of God to be in your life? You get in your Word. You start reading. I was in Reno. I was like, man, this is so bad. I pulled up my phone. I was like, let's see what Spurgeon has for the Word of the Day and the Scripture. Oh, yeah, that's good. Thank you, Lord. Uh, You need this, neighbor. Come over here and read this. This It's a mess. I heard you all last night. Ruckus at 2 in the morning. Drunk. Come over here. No, it's all right. Get over that hangover real quick. Let me show you something in Romans chapter 1. Romans 1. one eighteen. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because, they, because what they be known of God is manifest in them. He, then he's going to go into creation. For God has shown it to them. For since the what? The creation. I, Asaph says, I'm going to reflect on, your, you reflect on your wonders of old. I'm going to look from Genesis until I'm writing this thing right here in history. Christians, remember, you've got a little sliver of time in this huge event God calls world history. History is the Lord's. All of time is His. You've got this little sliver 
I've got this little sliver. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, and nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. Where do futile thoughts and, and godliness and... Uh, I don't want to use the wrong, not idiocy, but... Uh, ignorance come, the lack of study from Genesis, amen? They became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts. That was the word I was looking for, foolishness. Foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise. They became fools and changed the glory of God, the glory of the incorruptible God into the in, into an image made like incorrupt, like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their own bodies. Why did all that happen? Why did all that happen? It says they did not reflect. They did not acknowledge the God of Genesis. I didn't put that in the Bible. He says that the God of what? Creation. Okay, that was a little heavy. All right, shake it. Relax. Everybody breathe. Just relax. It's summer. Your Bible is the best reminder of God's miracles. And you need it from Genesis, come on, to Revelation. It always must have priority in our life, it must hold a sacred place. The reason why we preach the word here every week is because we honor the word of God. I must study and work hard to honor and rightly communicate the word of God to you. And it is my responsibility as a pastor and your responsibility as a Christian. Right? Amen? And it's not, is it, is it laborsome? No, there's labor in it, but it's wonderful. It's life. It's food. It's knowledge. It's the true history of the world. It's future. It's, oh, it's the word of God. I was, again, in Reno. We left Reno. Went about an hour away to one of the most beautiful places I've been on the planet. And I've been on five continents. It truly is breathtaking. Let me show you a few pictures here. This is, is going to be a 30-second uh, vacation cap. This is Lake Tahoe, one of the deepest lakes in America. They're actually not even sure how, some, uh, how deep some of it is. They think it has underground rivers that connect to another lake called Pyramid Lake a couple hundred miles away. It is extremely clear. Extremely clear. You can see 30 feet down, maybe 40. It's just, it's, it, it's amazing. This is, uh, this is one of, this is the river that flows out of Lake Tahoe. Beautiful, all snow melt, extremely clear, very different than uh, here. Very cold, very cold. It's all snow melt. Now I want to go back to the first slide. This is no high def camera. This is just a very simple, this is just Tahoe, and this doesn't do it justice, but I was thinking about this. This is marred. It's marred. This is not as beautiful as God created it. This is a fallen world, and it's breathtaking. It's a fallen world, and it's breathtaking. Now, the last picture here is not fallen. This, is, this was exempt from sin. Fishing is exempt from sin. I 
I was looking at this thinking, this is miraculous, God. This is beautiful and awe-inspiring. So amazing. And the thought, yeah, but this is not even my best. This is tainted with this world, correct? There's only one thing that you've got, physical, that you're touching, that you can hold, that you can turn the page of, or you can swipe, or you can app it, that is untainted, that is pure, perfect, eternal. What is it? Come on. Come on. Come on. Should it have priority? Does it deserve all honor? Huh? Does it tell us about our Savior, Jesus Christ, and is he not the word become flesh? Come on. All right. Let's round home. Thank you, Lord. Oh, I missed you guys. I missed preaching. This is so great. Did I tell you how great you guys are? Oh, I love you guys. Oh, no one yelled and cussed at me. It was wonderful. It wasn't that bad. Almost. (laughs) All right. Back in Psalms. Verse 12. I will also meditate on all your works. We're talking about creation. We're talking about Genesis to Revelation. Then five little words. And talk of your deeds. And talk of your deeds. Now, he's not schizophrenic. He's not talking to himself, right? He's talking to someone, isn't he? I've already mentioned who's his good friend. David. Oh, they're sharpening each other. The music team, the worship team at the sanctuary, the godly friends he's got, the relationships that God has blessed him with. That's a beautiful thing. He says all these things about God, then he really reflects what's on that wall in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. In our vision, no Grow and go. This is how we complete our vision right here. He says the same thing in 2 Thessalonians 2.8 that Paul says. We desire to impart to you not only the word, but our very lives because you had become what? Dear to us. You know it, members. Did I mention we have a growth track coming up next week? And you can have a free lunch and child care if you're not a member already. <laughs> Because you had become dear to us. He says, and I'm going to get with my friends, the people who like to talk about the things of God, the ways of God, the stuff of God, and we're just going to talk about it. And talk of your deeds. Lastly, number five on your notes. Christian conversation is vital to a healthy life. It's vital. This guy meets with Jesus and gets it fixed in the night watches, the deep groaning of our heart. And he says, you know, I need something more. God's got a plan. And it's this. It's this way. Listen to the way Paul says it in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 7, 5. For indeed, truly, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, for we were troubled on every side. 
Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. Uh, does that sound like a fun? Anybody want to sign up for that one? Anybody want to get up to work every morning and said, I'm troubled on every side? Inside and outside. In work, out of work. Anybody want relationships like that? Oh, get me away from that. Nevertheless, although this fallen world, although relationships are difficult, although hurts and offenses and pains, nonetheless, God who comforts the downcast. Thank you, Lord. I like that scripture too. Comforted us. How does the Bible say the comfort of God came? How? Through who? A man. The comfort of God came through a person, an earthly vessel. Why? Because he gets great glory when he can use this. How in the world does he use this? He is a great God. The comfort of God, it says God's comfort. Nevertheless, the God who comforts did it through a man, the coming of Titus. Well, this sounds like Asa. I'm going to talk about his deeds. Next verse. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us about your conversations, when he talked about what you had, when he came, comforted when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Christian conversation. Christian relationship, if you like that better, godly people around you, it is absolutely vital, is it not? Biblically, is it vital? Do we think in any time we can live above the word of God? Oh, don't think that, Christian. Don't think that, visitor. Don't think that in any culture, technologically advanced, or when you can, and, a, and texting and all that's a form of conversation. But do not think that you can live a healthy, vibrant Christian life outside of God's parameters. We must have it. If you don't, ask God for it. Oh, he's a good father and he gives good gifts. I'm partial to this group. They're great. All right. Last scripture. Here we go. We're headed home. We've been talking about Asaph. Remember, he lived at the golden age of Israel. Everyone wants to live when the economy's on top, right? Everyone, when the business is booming, everyone wants to be there. Business starts to slide. Look, oh, let me put my application on somewhere else. Ezra chapter 2, we must fast forward in time to a very dark time. The kingdom splits after Solomon, King, uh, David's son, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, we have the kingdom split into the northern and southern kingdoms. Judah and Benjamin are in the south, more godly, bigger, and stronger, although it's two tribes. The less godly, ten tribes are in the north. They get pounded on. An invasion comes to them first. Over a hundred years, they're going to last, excuse me, Judah's going to last over a hundred years more. They go into captivity. It's three, actually three different captivities, but the greatest of Nebuchadnezzar. Seventy years in Babylon prophesied because of ungodliness, idolatry, and wickedness. You all with me? There's times of captivity. But they don't stay there. No, no, no. Because God said, I'm faithful. And although you are not faithful, I'm faithful. I can't deny myself. 
So they come out of captivity underneath Ezra and Nehemiah in stages also. They have come back in stages to a broken down Israel where there's no more temple. They're going to rebuild it. There's no worship. There's no praise. There's no big old men who can sing like an angel up here. They don't have that. No, no. It's a rough rebuild. It's a rough start. They got way less than we have. They had contentions without. That's a whole other story. So I want to read to you Ezra 2.1. Now these are the people of the, provident, of the province who came back from the captivity of those who had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away to Babylon and who returned to Jerusalem and Judea, everyone to his own city. And for many verses, it's going to list all the different tribes and all how many there were. But also something's going to be in there. Just tucked away in a little bitty verse. I love the word of God. Ah, they jumped up. There it is. The singers, the sons of who? Wait, 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 we're just hundreds of years later. Wait, wait, what? Asaph, well, he was just one man. Oh, wait a minute. For though like a faith of a mustard seed, it's small. Oh, but like the kingdom, it grows and grows, even in captivity, in the worst situations. It grows and it comes out 100 and how many? God, through the spiritual faith and the physical lineage, they were not all his descendants. Some followed him as like a master of Asaph came out of captivity, came out depressed, came out discouraged, came out doing what? <laughs> come on. Come on. I like that. Stand up. Come on. Let's, let's stand up. No matter what's going on in your life, maybe you even feel like you're in captivity. There is a God who specializes in deliverance. And he'll bring you out in greater numbers with more possessions and more wealth than you went in. And you, he'll give you a song. Now, this is the beautiful picture of this. They learn the things of God. How many times do you think in captivity they read Psalm 77? He only had 11 um, chapters he wrote how many times a lot God gave them a song in captivity moved in their life did things in their heart and then they got to the promised land they got there they were ready to sing if that's not a picture of heaven I don't know what is 70 years in captivity I think the, the average uh, lifespan is 72 in the U.S. You see that glorious picture? You see it? Oh, he's a great God. He's such a great God. I'm just reminding you what Asaph said, what David said. Oh, we're running out of time. We've got to spend a few minutes with Jesus, though. A few minutes. Come on.
a few minutes with Jesus. Let's just bow your head. Whatever is going on in your life, I'm reminding you that he's a great God. He's faithful. He's faithful. Let unbelief melt off, shake it off of you about his righteous, holy goodness. He's faithful. He'll do it. Ask him. I'm reminding you that he has lasting mercies in your short-term problems. That your Bible is a gateway of miracles. You've been lax in your Bible reading. Say, God, I want to be a Bible reader. And you need to surround yourself with godly Christian conversation and relationships. Because I don't think where you work is all Christians or where you live in your neighborhood. So you surround yourself with godliness. As we close, we're going to sing this song one last time. It, it will be our proclamation. The same as Asaph, the same as David, the same as the captives coming out. And it'll be ours, and it'll be ours eternally in heaven. Amen? So let's finish this service. This is the altar call. Proclaim with me this truth right now.
like Asaph did, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord. You're good. You're faithful, Lord. And we have been reminded by the eternal word of God, by the spirit of God, who you are and how we are to live in this life. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, come on, now praise him again. Come on. You guys have a great day. Thank you for the time that we went over. God bless you. Thank those children's workers big time.